0: Is there more to charismatic worship than lively singing and hands in the air? What do Rowan Williams, John Calvin and Karl Barth have to do with contemporary worship? How does the idea of being united with Christ help us understand what worship is all about? And what's the Spirit doing in the singing, in the preaching and at the table? Welcome Talking Theology, a podcast of Crammer Hall Durham, where we explore some of life's big questions and try to join the dots between theology, church and the world. I'm your host Philip Plimming and in today's show I'll be talking to the Reverend Dr Nick Drake. Nick is Associate Pastor at St Luke's Gas Street in Birmingham and has a long involvement in worship music at a professional level. Our question today is, what theology is going on in contemporary worship? Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy the show. Nick Drake, welcome to Talking Theology. Thank you. Very good to be here. Nick, you're now on the staff at uh, Gas Street Church, but you've had a long career as a worship leader, songwriter. Tell us about how the Lord's led you. I know Durham was an important part of that journey. Yes. But you've been to a number of places since. Tell us about your journey.
1: Oh, well, where to begin? I mean, I always had a passion for... Music and theology growing up, uh, you know, once I became a Christian, I just saw them both as ways through which I got to know God more, essentially. So, yeah, I ended up coming here to Durham to study undergraduate theology. While I was here, I really cut my teeth leading worship as well at a church called King's Church. And so carried on pursuing both of these tracks of music and theology kind of together. I ended up uh, feeling called, I guess, to, to be a, a full-time church minister in terms of worship leading and ended up in a church in london saint paul's Hammersmith, where i was worship pastor for about 10 years uh it was one of the early church plants from a church called holy trinity brompton a church where the Alf course came from uh, under nicky gumbel so was one of the early church plants from there so i joined that church about two years into it being a church plant and then was there as the worship pastor for quite a long time uh, while i was there i did a ma in theology at kings looking at sung worship Uh, and how it might function sacramentally, so to facilitate encounter with God uh, in a similar way to perhaps communion or baptism does. And then finally I've moved to Birmingham. As you say, I'm now at Gas Street Church, which is another plant done through the Church of England. Tim and Rachel Hughes are the lead pastors there, and I've recently completed my PhD
0: in Birmingham as well, looking at sung worship. Tell us a little bit about that PhD. It was, I understand, about constructing a theology for contemporary charismatic worship. What was it that made you want to explore that in particular?
1: Well, what I've found throughout my kind of career or life helping others meet with God through singing is that there wasn't much theology being done on that event or on that ritual, however you want to talk about it. So when you look at, into theology of worship, uh, you'll have a lot of liturgical studies. There's a lot of history and tradition of worship to read up on. But in terms of contemporary sung worship... There's hardly anything on the shelves of the library, literally and metaphorically. There isn't much out there. And what there is tended to be critical and written from outside the tradition. So there was a poverty of reflective practitioners within the tradition writing on it. And so I I guess I saw the need, but also I, I had a personal need. Like I wanted to understand more what were some of the dynamics going on in sung worship, uh, when we gather together? Why does it seem like we experience God in this time of singing? Why do we sing? You know, all these kind of questions that I think are latent within a congregation, within the average person, but there aren't many places and spaces where we talk about it and where it comes to the fore in the contemporary worship scene. So that's what really drew me to to explore this
0: area more. And I know you've written that the theology in contemporary sung worship that you described there is, is more informal than formal. Mm. What do you mean exactly by an informal theology? Yeah, worship?
1: So, so I borrowed this concept from uh, Rowan Williams. He mentions it in his book on Christian theology. And essentially other people used other language for it, perhaps ordinary theology, operative theology. And essentially it's this idea of theology just isn't limited to books on a shelf. You know, theology is being done all the time. And especially, obviously, when everyone gathers together to sing. It's a really good example where there's an operative theology, there's an informal theology by which is meant it's not captured yet. It's not encapsulated yet in words. It's a reality that says something about how humans know God and interact with God, i.e. theology, but it's not yet captured into words. It's not yet written down. And obviously... One of the problems with writing down things is that they're fixed. Hmm. And you see this all the time when people write articles in the press, in the media, or when theologians write things, and suddenly they're surprised by the reaction because they've suddenly written it down. And maybe it can't have all the footnotes you'd normally have or it can't have the nuances you'd have in the conversation. And suddenly there's a huge reaction that surprises the writer. And I think that's one of the problems with with formal theology, so to speak, is that once it's written, it's written, and that's it. And so it's trying to express this, how do we talk about contemporary sung worship? Because it's an it's an event, it's a reality experience before it's anything written down. And and that links to the, the second challenge with contemporary charismatic worship compared to normal worship studies. So normal worship studies, you have texts of the worship. You have uh, what we call liturgy uh, and other texts, set prayers, creed, and so forth, whereas Pentecostal charismatic worship, you you don't tend to have hardly anything written down. And so again, that's been a major challenge for theologians coming to this. Is What, what do we study? Especially more traditional theologians who maybe live in the more formal theology realm. It's like, well, ha- how do we even study this? Which is why I think part of the problem is not many people have. And that's been changing uh, in my lifetime, certainly. It's getting
0: more and more attention, which is great. But
1: that's some of the challenges, some of the problems of studying it.
0: So as you were looking at this informal theology and actually just being attentive to what happened, rather than, as you say, the texts, which were not really formative, were they, and those worship events. As you looked at those events, what was the informal theology about god that you saw being brought to the surface i guess there's a number of things you might want to explore
1: it's a number of things and the thing is when you start trying to define and it's so important to define contemporary worship well because people talk about it and they all think we're saying the same thing but it depends whether you know in, in the states or in the uk and one of the things that makes the difference is the history, like where does it come from, what's it come out of. So it's really important to describe it well and define it well. So one of the ways to do that is to describe its form, you know, so it's it's been called a singing-centric movement. It's a very embodied practice, certainly compared to more traditional Anglican kind of Which you mean actually we use. Expressive. Yeah, exactly. So one commentator calls it the expressive revolution. By raising of hands, bowing down, maybe lying on the floor, hands out in a kind of receiving posture. All these different postures help us describe the form of it, the outward appearance. But actually one of the things, you know, I found in my studies that, that really matters is the things you can't see. And that's the things of the heart, it's the internal life of the worshipper. It's what is in the mind of the leader of this time. What, what's the goal of our time of singing is a crucial question. And one of the things that is key in answer to your question of the informal theology of what's going on in the event is this notion of encounter with God. And so in the heart and minds of the worshipper, in the heart and mind of the leader of the time of song worship is this journey. And Pete Ward, who's here at Durham, wrote about this in his book, Selling Worship, is this journey towards intimacy, which is what John Wimber, who's key in the vineyard movement and a massive influence, probably the, the key influence on UK contemporary worship in, in the Anglican scene, you know, he talks about intimacy in the whole time of song worship is a journey to encounter close association, presence and contact is what John Wimber said, between us and God and so that's that's some of the non-seen informal theology that's going on this notion that God is imminent and he's very close and he's very accessible and he's here now he's not just a historic event that we remember through our worship but he's right in the room and he wants to be very close that's the kind of hidden informal theology that's going on well what's that mean which is what I've been looking at in the phd Let's answer that question. What
0: what does that mean? You described here about a God who is possible to encounter and therefore a God who wants to encounter us, a God who opens up intimacy as a possible reality, a God who is both present and wants us to acknowledge his presence. What what does that mean for the, the, the believer and the experience?
1: What I did in the PhD, I was looking at the notion of union with Christ and I particularly used Calvin's writings on it. Could have, you know, not done or used someone else's, but I picked Calvin because Calvin is hardly ever brought together with Pentecostal charismatic studies. And uh, and so I thought it'd be really interesting to do. Plus he has a really, really rich genius understanding of Paul. And Paul in Romans 6 to 8 talks a lot about union with Christ. You know, we're united in a death like his, so we'll be raised in a life like his. And this idea of adjoining with Christ, that we're not just tracking along trying to keep up with jesus you know what would jesus do oh you know i need to keep i need to keep up step with jesus he's like one step ahead of me the whole time it's not so much that idea it's more like we are actually united with his death and resurrection And obviously we get to the edge of our words here, but that's the height of close association presence contact, right? That's the height of intimacy, is union with Christ. And so I I found that idea really interesting to try and construct a theology of encounter, of this informal theology that's going on in sung worship for encounter by using this idea of union with Christ to explain the extreme intimacy that we can have and the idea of uh, participation In God's life that then comes and flows out of that union. Now one of the key elements of this and and what Calvin did fantastically was emphasize the spirit's role and this is where it's really interesting because there is this Real synergy, I think, between Calvin's understanding of the Spirit, which when I say Calvin, you know, um, essentially, again, it's Paul. So it's an Augusta. It's nothing, you know, radically new. Romans 6, yeah. Romans 7, 8. Yeah, yeah that's it's right. nothing radically new. So we don't need to debate Calvin in particular here. But the emphasis on the Spirit to be the agency of our uniting with Christ. So straight away there, you have a synergy between charismatic Pentecostal instinct and James K. Smith talks about the instinct in charismatic Pentecostal spirituality, this kind of instinctual genius move, which again might not be written down, but it's it's all there in the practice. Which is emphasis on the spirit. So you know, worship in the spirit would be a shorthand phrase for charismatic song worship. And here in Calvin and Paul, is this same sense of the spirit unites us to Christ and is the way that we participate in the Trinitarian life of God. Finally, to let me finish this off, because it's so important because then once you place this understanding of intimacy within a Trinitarian understanding of our relationship with God, then you can preserve God's otherness, his holiness, his transcendence, whilst holding
0: a really firm anchored theological belief in his imminence and intimacy. Nick, that's a a brilliant survey of what is going on in that informal theology and how it links through. Does this help provide an answer to those who perhaps writing from outside uh, charismatic Pentecostal tradition who can... Kind of critique um, a worship encounter as a kind of duvet blanket theology. Yeah. You know, sort of yeah. it is just a, a God's too small. Yeah. God's just there as my personal genie or life yeah. coach. And, and what you are describing is that the, the, these instincts actually find very deep theological roots, mm. and that while they may they, they present in a certain way, they're drawing or they're connecting with a very deep theological pool, which is really the heart of the gospel.
1: That's right. The heart of the gospel is that God loves us. He wants to draw close to us, and he and he's figured out how. <laughs> you know like the the burning bush you know he figures out how you know he draws close to moses but wait take off your shoes even there he's figured out how he can overcome the problem of his holy otherness and yet his desire to have us back in his life like eden and so i think all the way through scripture is this same sense of god being wholly different to us not collapsing creator into creation and yet he he makes a way he provides a way through our worship to be as close as Eden was and as close as the city will be in Revelation. And, and so I think it is, a, I think it's just a Christian understanding of divine human relations, you know, and, and, and the church is Pentecostal and the church is charismatic. And I think part of my conclusions from the PhD was this, you know, in a sense, almost if there was a critique of Pentecostal charismatic tradition, it's we've too narrowed our understanding of the Spirit into the gifts of the Spirit or a doctrinal thing on baptism in the Spirit in the previous kind of generation of Pentecostalism, um, when actually, you know, there's there's a much broader understanding of the Spirit that involves soteriology, so the salvation, how he works in uniting us with Christ, that is all part of one thing. <laughs> it's not like separate compartmentalized, and therefore there's a shared Christian understanding and great tradition of this kind of intimacy but held within difference
0: between us and God. It's often struck me that, that that in various traditions of the church, they kind of hold on to a particular aspect of the Spirit's ministry and say that's everything. Yeah, And what you're saying actually well actually there's continuity between the Spirit who will enable that encounter as well as the Spirit who will give gifts.
1: Yes, and, and because all of that, the, the, what's held is the union with Christ, the union in Christ is this place where all of that is held together. You know, the life of Christ that's kind of almost activated in us. Again, the words aren't right, but in some sense, when we gather to worship, there are these moments where there's an intensification
0: of that life of Christ for us and in us and working through us. You mentioned that Paul's writings were so critical for Calvin um, and Romans 6 to 8 in particular. Are there particular verses that stick in your mind as these are really verses that for me capture what it is the gospel of union with Christ and what that means. I think the Romans eight the the adoption metaphor is huge because
1: it ultimately it, it's a it's the broadest and biggest kind of umbrella for salvation and everything we're talking about that that you can get to it's almost like the bottom of the whole thing is this sense that paul talks about that w- that we cry abba you know there's only two words that that we can only say by the spirit you know jesus is lord and abba father you know that, that in scripture that that's what you could say by the spirit again it's charismatic it's pentecostal it's the spirit's work through us and their salvation words and their adoption words and so i think that sense that it's for anyone and everyone and once you unite with Christ, once the Spirit works through you and you surrender to that, you're adopted into the into royalty. You're adopted in like Moses into the royal household. You, he's untouchable anymore. He can't be killed anymore because he, he's he's royalty. You know this this genius move of God to save Moses in the way, and so he's saving us.
0: So if we take that on board, Nick, and, and reflecting about worship is about an encounter which is rooted in a union of Christ, made possible in the spirit, but also within the framework of the Trinity that enables us to experience God as other, as well as immanent. What does good worship look like? And I'm not saying the songs in particular, yeah. but what does good worship look like that is theologically rooted, that enables us or empowers us to, just, us to do both things? That is experience mm-hmm. union with Christ as a reality, but also continue to understand God as other. Yeah.
1: Well, it starts for me with great coffee. <laughs> <laughs> that's a theological given. Yeah. I think. Yeah. 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 No, that's a great question. And that, that's the right question to be asking, isn't it? Is, is, is then, well, what's this mean for how we construct worship? And it, and it's a pertinent question, particularly for Pentecostal charismatics or a free church tradition, because there isn't a set plan you know so it's not a question really that needs to be asked of, of traditional liturgical worship because there's a set plan that guarantees it being in quotes good or, or maybe reliable Uh, reliably Christian might be another way of putting it isn't it so it's a it's a particular challenge to Pentecostal charismatics and even once that that form of worship has been adopted in the Anglican church like in in my setting in Gastry it is a question like how how do we make our worship reliably Christian in a sense would be the challenge And, and I think making it Christocentric and ensuring Christ at the center which means which is so obvious, but if there is no plan at all, you'll be surprised how often there might not be a song on Jesus, you know, or whatever. So Christocentric, and that includes the narrative of the gospel being present as a core feature. And, and then the second thing, so everyone would, would agree with the first thing, but the second thing I think is this idea of spirit dependency, uh, which I think Pentecostal charismatics have helped the wider church rediscover Uh, the importance of the Spirit's agency, uh, which we've talked about, and just this awareness that this isn't just a human endeavor. We're not just following a script here for our worship time, but without the Spirit's power, everything here is not effective. There's a quote from Calvin, it says about the sacraments, you know, it's just like the sun shining on blind eyes without the Spirit. And I I love that concept. I think that's really true in every way. So Christocentric, Spirit-dependent, in our construction of worship and obviously all to the glory of the Father and in some way capturing this adoption theme, this like everyone's welcome. And that can just be from the hospitality, from what we do when people come in. Again, it's important. It's not just the songs, as it? It's the whole thing can
0: tell this Trinitarian story, I think. And what is it that helps us within that Christocentric, spirit-dependent worship nevertheless engage or be aware of God as other, mm. the, the one who's beyond our understanding as the one who's also close to us? Yeah, is that possible? Can you do the same thing or is that very difficult?
1: I think there's um, time for space. If sung worship's done well and, and what we can learn from when charismatic practice is done well is this idea of a block of worship so it has musical flow. And if it has musical flow, you can create space. And space is one of those times where you, you, know, you stand in awe of God or there are no words anymore. Maybe there's just a few chords being played. But that sense of, right, like, we've just said all this stuff. Now we need to be silent. Now we need to stand in awe. So I I think there's something to be pressed into in that concept of of space within a musical flow that can be really powerful. I think secondly, obviously, the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of scripture is at its best a voice from outside addressing us, I God addressing us, and so in of its very nature, it is the transcendent God who we only know because He reveals Himself, and so it's this voice from outside that confronts us. You know, the kind of bar idea. So I think that's that. And then thirdly, I think if if we have the table and communion or Eucharist at the centre of what we do as well again there's this moment of essentially mystery like you know we we all especially in the western tradition of theology we, we, everyone wants to work out what's going on at the end of the day no one knows you know that might be uh, heresy here in Durham to say but no one really knows what's going on when someone places a wafer in your hands or or some bread or when you drink some red wine from a cup you know what is going on there Who really knows, but we know in some way it's a transcendent other, holy God who's done something unbelievable for us in Christ, and now it's ours. Now he's ours. And that blows our brains, you know, to put it in (laughs) easy language. That that breaks all concepts, and yet it's true. And so I think in and of itself, if that's done well, and what we're talking about here is doing these things well, um, because all of these things can be ineffective,
0: potentially, and unreliable depending on, you know, as with some of the things we've talked about. It strikes me that, as you've just described there, gathering at the Lord's table relies on exactly the sort of things you mentioned earlier about being Christocentric. Yeah. And spirit dependent, because we all know that without the Spirit's intervention, it is just bread and wine. Yeah. But by the Spirit, it becomes so much more for us. Yeah. And that this is interesting continuity, isn't it, between yeah. sung worship and then gathering at the Lord's table? That's right.
1: And, and I think that's why the traditional sacraments can offer so much to more free singing times, because they, they can anchor and root what we do in the more
0: ancient tradition and, and, and some of the things we've talked about. How might this speak, Nick, to? I mean, a number of our listeners will be worshipping in churches that are more traditional, whether or not have a block of worship, they might be using different liturgical shapes. How is what you've described in terms of, you say, this is just Christian worship, it is based on encounter, made possible by the Spirit, rooted in union with Christ. How might those sorts of theological foundations be expressed in perhaps different liturgical traditions?
1: Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. And that's what has partly motivated me, is this gut instinct in me that, well, what we're talking about here is just Christian worship. You know, it's just, as you say, it's it's something to unite us because we get so divided over our forms. But actually if we drill down to a theology of worship and if we get to a Trinitarian understanding, then actually we'd all more or less unite around that. <laughs> we'd go, yeah, we we actually all agree. Roughly that is what we're talking about. And so it's actually then when you come back up to the surface level, the forms of our expressions of worship, that we start dividing or disagreeing slightly about preferences. Now I think there are certain Things to do with the form that help facilitate or help or maybe hinder this Trinitarian experience of God happening. And I think that's one of the things is like whatever we're choosing to do, like to what extent does this help this Trinitarian dynamic? be activated be it happen in our midst and to what extent do they maybe hinder or are they not helpful and i think that's one of the questions to ask so it's almost like there isn't much like that you can't try doing but you know at the end of the day is it going to lead us to christ and is it is does it give us this sense of our dependence on the spirit and does it give us this sense of that we're we're saved we're adopted we're we're home uh, and we don't need to work too hard and uh, 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 making stuff happen you know ourselves in our own strength and energy because god you know we're fundamentally accepted i think it's very interesting and the more we can do cross tradition dialogue on this stuff the, the more we can bless each other and help each other rather than stay in
0: our in our kind of own little <laughs> sections of the church you talked about what it means to to know that we're worshiping from a place of coming home mm. and being home yeah and being adopted and loved and yeah. held how has your research in this area that's taking you so deep into the theology of, of faith mm. and the gospel how's this shape you as a i guess both as a disciple of jesus today mm. as a worshiper but also as a leader of others in worship and as a mm. facilitator of liturgy
1: it's a great question i i just have a uh, a real passion for this rediscovery of the spirit's person and work as a distinct member of the trinity and so if I'm involved in something or doing something where I'm just like I just feel I guess I'm, I'm maybe slightly unusually as a theologian I, I'm kind of in both camps like church practitioner theologian head and heart you know I, I'm like all in you know and, and I think that's that is the way you know that we want to try and do theology and, the, and bridge these gaps between what was once maybe separate worlds and I feel like if I'm ever involved in something where I'm like do you know what? I just don't feel this is effective like what what are we doing you know whether it's a lecture whether it's training worship leaders, whether it's doing a sermon, you know, it reminds me to be dependent on the Spirit, you know, in some way, maybe I haven't prayed, you know, I try and pray before everything I do, Holy Spirit, I need you in this, like, would you come and work through me in this, regardless of whatever it is. And so uh, that's what I'm trying to always focus on. And rather than just carry on, it's so easy to just do things in your own strength, isn't it? You just mm-hmm. go, well, I've got, I've got this, I've got, I've got, I've prepped the sermon, you know, or I've prepared this lecture or whatever it is, and you just crack it on. But I think for me, it's drawn me right back to hang on, like I'm participating in the Trinitarian life of God in everything, and there's more of Him available for me in, in everything that I'm doing and to ask him to work through me and in me and to and to take time to place myself in his hands in what I'm doing as well I think is so important because it takes off that pressure as a leader like right it's all on me you know when you turn up at the room I'm the leader here it's all on me to, to break new ground or to to change them to the room or and you know that's outside the church so that's maybe leadership but inside the church there's there's already someone in the room working away. It's the two hands of God here and there, you know, the, the son, the spirit working away. And so you, you're cooperating as a leader with them.
0: Well, Nick, thank you so much for appearing on Talking oh, Theology. Oh, it's a
1: pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: You have been listening to Talking Theology, a podcast from College within St John's College in the University of Durham, training people for ministry in the Church of England and
1: other denominations. Find out more about us at cranmerhall.com.